Hey everybody, Joe McCall, REI in your car. How's it going? This is part six of the one deal series on how to do a lease option deal. Just one, one lease option deal. These are some of the easiest deals to do. And I can get it, some people may think they're complicated because they've never done one before. I say they're easy to do because number one, there's hardly any competition for these deals. Number two, a lot of investors are throwing away leads that have motivation but not enough equity to do a cash offer on them. And these sellers don't have very many options, right? They don't wanna sell it with a realtor. They don't wanna rent it out and be a long distance landlord. So they just don't have many options. And in many ways, it's easier to negotiate a lease option than it is a cash offer at 60, 70 cents on the dollar. Well, you may not or may not believe me, but that's just from my experience, I've just found it easier to negotiate lease option deals. Doesn't, you know, at the end of the day, I'm giving the seller more money, right? And as long as they're willing to wait, giving them more money. So anyway, the, I'm doing a case study. If you go to onedealcasestudy.com, onedealcasestudy.com, where on this first one, we're going to be looking at lease option deals. And we're going to be just looking at one thing that you've got to do, right? One thing at a time. I'm not gonna be showing you three different ways to make offers, five different ways to do marketing, four different contracts that you can use. It's just like, we're gonna pick one, we're gonna go for it. And the cool thing is, I'm trying to make this where there's some accountability involved, where you can, you, I'm gonna give you some real clear, simple homework. And you go do it and you report back on your numbers. And then we answer any questions that you might have um, on the Thursday calls. We're also gonna be calling sellers live on the workshop, I mean, sorry, on the coaching call. We're gonna be calling sellers live. Hopefully, maybe some of them might be your leads. So it's pretty cool. And if you go to onedealcasestudy.com, onedealcasestudy.com, you'll also see that I'm gonna give you your money back if you complete the case study. If you go through the course, each module of the six weeks will be about 30 to 45 minutes long. We have Thursday calls that if you're not on them live, that's fine, you can listen to the replay. We have a private Facebook group where you can report on your numbers and ask any questions. So there is some accountability in there. And if you participate and are active and you do the homework, and the homework is gonna be like setting up some systems, doing some marketing, talking to sellers, making offers, all that good stuff that's gonna make you money, then you show me what you've done, send me a video testimonial, and I'll give you 100% of your money back. It's a no-brainer. All right, so anyway, the final part of this little podcast series that I'm doing is the one checklist to sell your homes. I can't say like there's just one way that you should sell your home or market the property that you have under a lease option. If there was one website to advertise it on, I'd probably say Facebook Marketplace probably. If you can get it on Zillow, that would be amazing, but sometimes it's harder to get a property on Zillow. But there is one checklist. I have one checklist that is really important. And one of my favorite stories that I've heard about checklists, and I wish it was mine, kinda, maybe, but a friend of mine, Sean McCloskey, has told this story many times, and it's about the importance of having a checklist. And he really wanted to get his private pilot's license, right? And if any of you are pilots, you know, like they hammer into you the importance of having checklists, and everything has a checklist. When you're learning how to fly a plane, you know, when you're inspecting the plane, a checklist. When you're starting the engine, there's a checklist. When you're flying, there's a checklist. When you're landing, there's a checklist. Every little thing that you do, there's checklists. And so one time, 
Sean was, I don't remember the exact details, but like, you know, doing a lot of flying and stuff like that. And then his instructor said, okay, now it's time for you to do it on your own, to fly solo. And they intentionally do not tell you when it's your turn to fly solo because um, it's just supposed to be, you know, you can go out there and do it now. But it's fine as long as you follow the checklist, right? The checklist, you do this, you do that. So, you know, he does. He goes out and flies and does fine. He goes through his checklist and goes fine. And so fast forward a few days, a few weeks, I don't know, and he's done this like 12, 15, 20 times, right? And he knows the checklist off by heart and he's just thinking, why am I doing this? You know, I don't really need this checklist. I know what I need to do. And it was hot that day and he just had one more flight. Like it's where you, you go up and you fly, you circle around and then you come back and I think you touch the runway and then you go back up or whatever. So anyway, he tells the story and I'm butchering it, but he tells the story of where it was the last flight of the day and he just decided, I'm not gonna look at the checklist. And all of a sudden he's flying and he, the something is up or down that shouldn't be up or down. And the plane, instead of lifting up, you know, where the front of the plane goes up and you start floating up into the air, the, the front of the plane starts dipping down and the back of the plane goes up as he's going down the runway. And he's looking down at the pavement with the propeller in the front of him, like just inches from the ground while the tail of his plane is going up and he's going along. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like going along the runway like that. And he freaks out and he pulls something and then the plane slams back on the ground and then something else happens and he spins around and it, he's complete, he about had a heart attack, he's freaking out. And the first thing, I think he said he wet his pants or something, I don't know, but the first thing he does is he looks around to see if anybody was watching, right? It's this little small regional airport. And uh, he says, luckily nobody was watching, but I don't know. Anyway, it's a funny story. And he, he stresses then the importance of having a checklist. Like checklists were made by really, for flying, right? Checklists were made for a very good reason. Because if you forget one little thing on the checklist, you could die. It's, there's nothing on that checklist when you're learning how to fly that's not important. And so when we, in business, at the same time, we think that, oh, I know how to do this. I know what happens when this happens, or I remember I, can, I know how to do all this stuff. Well, checklists are really, really important. And this is one of the reasons why I never want to fly, because it's so dangerous. And I'm worried that I would not, or I would forget to look at a checklist, or I don't like the stress of having to look at a checklist and, and make sure everything is done while my life's in the balance, 30,000 feet in the air or whatever. But anyway, checklists are super important. I, I, told that I tell that story, make a point that when you're selling houses or marketing a property that you own or you have on a lease option, it's important that you remember the checklist. And on my checklist, I have pretty much everything you need to remember. When you're doing a lease option deal, for example, you need to make sure you have the seller's disclosure statement filled out. You need to make sure you have lead-based paint. You need to make sure that, you know, the seller signs the seller's disclosure statement, you do, and the tenant buyer signs it. So all three of you sign it, right? You need to make sure that you've got a clear title. You need to record your memorandum of option or your affidavit of interest. You need to uh, maybe do a limited power of attorney for the house. You need to make sure the mortgage is current. The, all those little things, like if you forget to check to see if the mortgage is current and all of a sudden you're into the deal and you find out they're three months behind, you're going to be up a creek at the, and the tenant buyer's already moved in, right? You know, if you forget to do an inspection of the property or if you forget to get a seller's disclosure statement and the tenant buyer gives you $10,000, they move in and find out that there's tons of termites and now all of a sudden they want their money back. You've already spent it and, you know, you, you could, that stuff, 
you could have found out about. So the checklists are really, really important. And as part of the checklist is things that you might think, oh, that's common sense. But what about, you know, making sure you advertise the property in all the right places, making sure that you've, you have a property on your website, you have pictures, you have a video if you can get it. You have signs in the yard. What about flyers when you're at the house? What about applications? You know, if you're having a realtor help you market your homes, which I recommend, what if, you know, does that realtor have access to a flyer or a frequently asked questions document or an application? So I have these stuff, these things that you can put together in a packet like that you can leave at the house or give to your realtor or just make sure your realtor is, is printing them. Uh, what about a voicemail for the property? So there's a lot of really important things and it's, I don't want to make it sound overwhelming because it's actually, once you do one of them, it's, it's pretty easy. It's common sense. And if you just hired a leasing agent or a realtor to help you lease these properties, your lease options, then you know they're going to they're gonna know and do all of that stuff. But you still, you've got to have a checklist that you give to them so that nothing falls through the cracks. Nothing falls through the cracks. So do you understand the importance of that? When it comes to advertising a lease option property, there's sometimes we overcomplicate it, but there's really only a few things you need to do. Because number one, if it's a good deal, then you're not going to have a problem finding a good tenant buyer. If you haven't found a good tenant buyer in three to four weeks on a lease option home, then something's really wrong. And usually it's one of two things. It's overpriced and that's usually like nine times out of 10, that's the problem. Or it's not uh, placed in front of the right people. So you're not advertising the house in the right places. So overpriced, you got to make sure, you know, if it's a property that rents in, in that area, similar properties rent for 1800 and you're trying to get 2000 a month, well, you're going to have a harder time finding a tenant buyer, even though it is a lease option that's willing to pay $200 more a month when they could rent a similar property for, you know, 1800 and you're trying to get 2000 So you need to make sure that you're competitively priced for homes in the area. So when I'm making my offer, I don't care what mortgage payment, the seller has. I don't care if they're trying to get $2,300 a month for it. If I can see that similar properties are renting for $1,800, I'm going to base my offers on maybe advertising the rent as $1,750 a month, right? Maybe $1,700 a month. That's kind of where I start from. That's where I base start my offer from. So if I'm going to rent it out for $1,700, I'm going to pay the seller $1,300 a month or something like that. And I don't care if their payment is $1,500 a month. That's the offer I'm going to make. I don't care if they want $2,000 a month. I'm going to offer them $1,300 a month. Does that make sense? So anyway, usually the problem is if you can't find a good tenant buyer in three to four weeks, it's because it's overpriced. And and that's okay. I tell people too, when you're when you're negotiating with the seller, if it's close enough, go ahead and just get it under contract because you can always go back and renegotiate a lower price. And that's what you need to do. Just go ahead and try marketing the house and you'll find out whether it's a good deal or not. And if it's in a good area, like the median price range that I'm talking about before in other podcasts where, you know, like in the Midwest, it's $150,000, $250,000, you're going to have a very easy time finding good tenant buyers for that. The other thing that you got to do if it's priced right, it's real simple. Signs. Signs work very, very well. A sign in the yard if you can. Bandit signs in the neighborhood on the weekends. You know, I personally, I know some people disagree with this. They, they think that ugly signs look unprofessional and who knows, maybe they do, but they work. Handwritten bandit signs, rent to own, 3% moves you in, phone number, you know, like that kind of thing out in the neighborhood works really, really well. And on your signs, you should make sure that it goes to voicemail. And if you're using my CRM, my, it's called REI Simple, you can get a unique phone number for each property that you have. It's only an extra three or four bucks a month for the phone number, but you can set it up where anytime anybody calls that phone number, they get added to your buyer's list. And then you can text them back 
back. You can automatically follow up with them. You can email or text them a link to the pictures or whatever, right? Having a way to text and communicate with your buyers is super important when they call. And that voicemail, you can say, listen, thanks for calling about the house on 123 Main Street. You know, it's a four bedroom, three bath, blah, blah, blah. It's this and it's that. It's available for lease purchase. If you have any questions, leave a message and we will call you back. And then you can text them and you can have a VA manage all this. Well, anyway, so it's important you've got a good CRM that you can manage this because what happens when you, when you get another property sometime down the future, you can text blast or SMS broadcast all of your people that had called before and say, hey, I got another property in the area. Are you interested? So anyway, it's a great tool. And a lot of times capturing their phone number and texting them is so important because, you know, when you start trying to call people back that leave a voicemail, they get a call from a number they don't recognize. 95 percent everybody like clicks ignore they send it to voicemail they don't answer it so when you can text them and say hey listen i'm calling you back about your property the property you called about you want to talk or whatever having that first text or follow-up text is real important then you can text them a link to see the pictures or whatnot so signs are critical signs work really well they're probably the best way to find buyer leads for your properties. A sign in the yard, signs in the uh, in the neighborhood on the weekend. 10, 20 every weekend if you can pull it off. It's super important. Next best thing is Facebook Marketplace. Get it on Craigslist. And I would, on Craigslist, I would, well, Facebook Marketplace, I would put it in the for rent section. Craigslist, I would probably try to create two or three different ads and rotate through them. Two for rent ads, one for sale by owner ad if you can. Sometimes getting it on Zillow is tricky. Just kind of depends. I do know I've heard that it's easier if you become a premier listing agent for Zillow. So in other words, like they have a premier listing agent program and you have to pay for it. But if you get like, if you try to secure a zip code way out in the country or in the sticks, it's a lot cheaper than a zip code inside the city, right? So what you can do is just try to become a premier listing agent. If I think you have to be licensed, but if you try to become one of them in in one of those small zip codes way out in the sticks. It's a lot cheaper, you can save a lot of money. And then when you do that, it becomes easier to advertise your other properties, even though they're in one of the premier or more um, premium zip codes. Does that make sense? It's just easier when you become a premier preferred agent or whatever Zillow calls it. So if you're licensed or try to do that, you know, if, if you're hiring realtors to market your properties, uh, try to get them into that status. Does that make sense? That's pretty much it. Yeah, you, you, you take some calls. Before I wrap this up, let me answer a couple common questions I get a lot. Like, how do you close these deals, right? So when the tenant buyer is ready to close, how do you do it? Well, first of all, you got to make sure you're working with and you have relationships with a an investor-friendly title company or a closing attorney that does double closes or understands what you're doing. So you need to do this kind of legwork in advance. And you just need to ask around and you need, you need to keep on asking around and be persistent until you find them. So network with other wholesalers and find out, you know, which title company are you using to do your deals and, and approach them and say, you know, instead of saying, can you do this? I would approach a title company and say, listen, I'm doing some lease options and explain to them what you're doing and, and then ask them, can you help me with these deals? And do you know of a good way to close them? Because here's the problem. If your buyer is getting an FHA loan, which is most of them, there's usually a 90 day seasoning rule, which means that it has to be titled in the seller's name for at least 90 days. So like they're anti-flipping laws. Now, I don't know how hard and fast of a rule that is. It maybe varies by area around the country. And don't feel or think that every loan has that requirement. That's 
not the case. Not every loan does have that kind of requirement, but you need to find out which ones do. So what do you do in that case? Well, a good creative title company will help you figure that out. And there's different ways around it. You could do a double close where you have to bring transactional money in. You, they may say, listen, you have to use a banker that doesn't do FHA loans. Or they may say, you, can, you need to file a lien or some kind of mortgage on the property for whatever your profit's going to be so that we can pay you on the HUD. So then you do a new contract between your buyer and the seller and you get paid on the HUD as a satisfaction of lien. You could also record your option and, and have it be, like I've had a title company do this before where I, I cloud the title with my memorandum and so I sent an invoice to the title company for what my profit was and they paid the invoice and they called it on the HUD a revocation of option. Uh, so th there, there's different ways to do it. You may need to take the property over subject two, where you take the deed over for 90 days before you sell it. But there's there's five, 10 different ways you can do it. You need to approach a good investor-friendly title company, tell them what you're doing and say, listen, what do you think is a good way to close these deals? So that's a common question I get. And the answer is really, it depends. You know, you need to work with a mortgage broker and a title company that kind of understands what you're doing and have them tell you what the best way to do it. Not you try to tell them and say, can you do this? You understand? The other common question I get is this. What if the buyer is ready to buy, but the seller says, no, nah, I don't want to sell it anymore. You know, the price has gone up. They've changed their mind. They're not as motivated today as they were three years ago when they did this. Are you up a creek? What do you do then? Well, there's a couple things, right? I can't guarantee that won't happen, but you've clouded the title. You have a memorandum of option. You have a signed contract with that seller and you can just explain to them, listen, I really don't want to fight this in court because here is this signed contract. It's very clear, plain as day. If you want to fight me on this, I'm going to take you to court and it's going to cost you thousands of dollars to defend and you're going to lose. Like a contract is a contract and this is the way it is. Do you really want to fight this in court? And so you just got to be nice about it, not be a jerk and just kind of show them you're going to have to spend thousands of dollars in attorney's fees. And I don't know how you can get around this contract that you signed. Yeah. And so you just take it from there. The other thing though is, and you got to talk to an attorney about this, but I liked, and I have in my course, a limited power of attorney. And that's something that you can have the seller sign at the very beginning. Talk to an attorney about this, but it just basically says that this document is going to kind of force them, give the attorney the power or the authority to go ahead and sell the house and complete the transaction. Um, it's a limited power of attorney that's only applicable for that house and for the contract that it references. Does that make sense? So that could help as well. Of course, but anybody can sue you for anything. Um, if they're having a bad hair day and they're just mad at you because you're ugly, they can sue you for anything. So you can't avoid that, right? And that's just part of the risk of doing this. So you got to look at it again. Worst, worst case scenario. All right. The seller says, go ahead and sue me. I don't care. Or, you know, let's say they die or they go into bankruptcy. You know, there's things that in the contract that covers all of that, but like, what if it just becomes impossible? Worst case scenario, you know what? Just give the tenant buyer their money back, help them find another house. And you're doing enough deals, it's gonna suck, but you know, that's just the way it goes. That's Here's the thing, I'm saying this, I hope I don't scare anybody. But this is the fact of the matter. If you've been in this business long enough and you've done enough deals, you're going to run into problems sometimes. And that's you can't be afraid of that. You know, you're going to get threatened with lawsuits or you're going to have to threaten a lawsuit to get somebody to close. And some, sometimes that's just the cost of doing business if you want to do a lot of deals. And fortunately, fortunately, it's very, very rare. 
Does that make sense? So I'm not going to say like it's 100%. My plan is 100% foolproof. And if you do this document, there's no way, you know, there's some people that teach if you put it into a trust and, uh, you know, your property into a trust, there's no way that they can get around that or, but whatever. So yeah, I mean, worst case, you've, you've made, you know, three, $400 a month in cash flow for the last three years. So you've made, you still made money on the deal. You don't make as much as you would have, but you weren't out any money. You made money and you just help the tenant buyer find a new property. You know, you, you may, the tenant buyer may decide to sue the seller. I don't know. So I'm just talking worst case here. Never happened to me. It's never happened to me. So I'm not terribly worried about it, but does that make sense? So anyway, I went into way more detail in this topic than I was expecting, but I just wanted to talk about the importance of the one checklist. When you're advertising your properties, it's important you don't forget the little details and it's important you do a lot of marketing for these homes. If it's middle, if it's median priced area and, and the rents are um, competitive to the neighborhood, man, it's easy. The, I can't tell you how many testimonials I have of people that say, I can't believe how much easier it is to sell these lease option deals than it was when I was trying to sell wholesaling deals to cash buyers. So cool. If you're interested, and I hope you are doing this case study with me, uh, go to onedealcasestudy.com, onedealcasestudy.com. As you're listening to this, it starts in a few days. And when it does start, we're shutting the doors. We're closing the doors and you can't get in after the doors are shut. So I'm hoping that you'll take us up on it and go check it out. It's very, very affordable. I, when I've done these case studies in the past, I've charged three times as much. And um, so this time I'm I'm testing a lower price point, which is good for you. Anyway, one deal, case study.com. We'll see you guys later. Bye-bye.